hey and good morning, everybody. Welcome out to the Medina East Campus as uh, we are continuing in our series that we started four weeks ago uh, that we have been calling Teach Us to Pray. And, uh, you know, I'm real excited about this series as we get a chance to kind of jump in again here this morning. But I did just want to kind of reiterate something that Clark said just a moment ago here, and that is that if you are a guest with us here uh, this morning, we just want to extend a very, very special Welcome to you. We are so thankful that you're here, and uh, we hope that you feel comfortable. We hope you get a chance to, to get that gift that was mentioned a moment ago at the Welcome Center, and we would love to meet, make your acquaintance too. And so if you get a chance to, if you are a guest and you, and you feel comfortable, I would love to say hi to you out in the cafe, get a chance to kind of get to know you a little bit as you get to get to know us a little bit as well. Uh, but if you are a guest and you're just kind of jumping in with us here today, uh, like I said, we are kind of in the middle of a series, and so you're kind of catching us in the midst of a conversation that we've been having for several weeks. And, uh, and I say that because I want to kind of invite you, um, if, if we say anything today that is intriguing to you or is of interest to you and you would like to catch the previous installments of this conversation, uh, you can actually do that. And if you go to our website, uh, which is on our program, medinaeast.graceohio.org, uh, you can watch and you can listen to the previous messages there. You can also subscribe to our podcast. All of that, of course, is for free. But I just wanted to invite you to do that if you want to catch up with this conversation. Conversation. Uh, but if you are a guest or if, if, if you missed the past few weeks, let me kind of loop you in uh, to what it is that we've been talking about. So we've been dealing with the topic of prayer and, and, and kind of put simply, the way that we're doing this is we are looking together at what we said is probably the most common, uh, probably the most popular, uh, the most, probably the most memorized passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. Uh, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. And so we just, we just heard it here on the video when I, uh, just a moment ago. Uh, that prayer, the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, uh, my guess is is probably something that all of us in this room are familiar with. And so maybe you grew up in a tradition or you grew up in church and this maybe was a prayer that you had memorized or a prayer that you were familiar saying, or maybe for you, you're not a religious person, you didn't grow up in church, but my guess is you're probably still familiar with this prayer because it is so popular and because it is so, so kind of widely used. But the reason we've been looking at this prayer, we've been saying, is because now this prayer was not just a prayer that Jesus prayed, uh, this prayer was actually a prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples as a way of teaching them how to pray. And so he said the Lord's Prayer is not just a prayer that Jesus prayed. It's actually instructions that Jesus gave to teach those who follow him how to pray. And so it's because of that that we said that's kind of our goal in this series. Our goal is that maybe by looking at these words that Jesus gave to his disciples to teach them how to pray, that he could also teach us how to pray. Hence the name of the series, Teach Us to Pray. And I think, I think honestly, this is a really important and, uh, and a vital conversation, especially for those of us uh, who strive to pray, uh, because if you're anything like me, prayer is one of those things that I struggle with. It's uh, something that is sometimes confusing and misunderstood. And so our hope is that as we kind of look at what Jesus teaches on prayer, uh, that this, this will give us clarity, that we can learn kind of how to pray um, from Jesus himself. So that's what we're doing. And so uh, as we continue in this series, I want to invite you to grab your Bibles yet again. And if you would take them, let's look at this, this amazing prayer that Jesus gave together in Matthew chapter six. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them with me and go ahead and flip over to Matthew chapter six in your Bibles. And so go ahead and get your Bibles out. Or if you're a smartphone user or a tablet user, uh, if you have a Bible app, you can access it that way if you want to. Um, or if you don't have a Bible with you at all or access to a Bible, you can also grab one of our Bibles. Uh, there are some black Bibles that should be underneath the chairs there in front of you. And you can turn to page 678 in those Bibles. That's where you'll find Matthew chapter six. Okay, so one way or the other, 
why don't you go ahead and get Matthew chapter six in front of you and we'll look at this prayer here together. And then let me just also say while you're finding that, that if you don't own a Bible, like if you just don't have a copy of the Bible and you want one, uh, we would actually really encourage you to take one of ours because we think it's really important that you have a Bible, all right? So Matthew six, hopefully you got it there in front of you. And again, we're just gonna go ahead and we're gonna look at this, this prayer that Jesus gave and we're just gonna read the whole thing and then we'll, we'll go back and we'll I'll start talking about the, the, uh, the focus for today. So we'll start in verse nine. So this is Jesus teaching us to pray. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And that's it. That's real simple, few words, uh, very familiar words. In fact, I said a couple weeks ago that for many of you, maybe growing up, you had this prayer memorized and maybe some rendition of this prayer or another you had memorized growing up. And so you're very familiar with this, which we said is actually kind of ironic because a couple weeks ago, we said that this prayer was never intended uh, by Jesus to be something that we simply use as a memorized mantra that we mindlessly repeat. That was never what Jesus intended when he gave us this prayer. And yet, for many of us, maybe that's kind of how we grew up using it, right? We kind of we grew up just saying this prayer, and we can recite it. We're so familiar with it that a lot of times our mouth is moving, but our mind isn't engaged. And so for some of us, we could just, man, we could just, we could just blow this thing right by. When, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come. And our mouth is moving and we know all of the words. But I think all of us know, and not that it's wrong to memorize this, but I think all of us know that there, there is a danger sometimes that comes with familiarity, right? Sometimes we can become so familiar with something that our familiarity to that thing can become a barrier to us understanding it. And my fear is that that can happen with this prayer sometimes. Sometimes we're so familiar with the words that we kind of miss the meaning. Sometimes we're so familiar with the prayer that the meaning becomes invisible. I was just thinking about this, about the dangers of familiarity this past week. And I was remembering, uh, some of you guys know, I lived in Chicago for a little while. And when I lived in Chicago, I had an apartment. My roommate and I had this apartment that was about a block away from uh, the L train. And so if you've ever been to Chicago, you know they have the elevated subway system. They call it the L train. And, uh, and my, my roommate and I had this apartment. We were on the third floor of this apartment. So we were pretty much parallel with the L train tracks. And so every 20 minutes or half an hour, a train would go by and the whole apartment would just kind of shake. It would just kind of rumble. Kind of like if you've ever seen the movie, The Blues Brothers, it was, it was like that. And so we would kind of get up there and that would happen. And I remember when we first moved in, we were like, man, I don't know how we're gonna do this. I was like, I don't know how we're gonna sleep at night. I don't know how we're going to concentrate. I don't know how, any, how we're going to have guests over here. But the crazy thing was, after only a couple of weeks of being at this apartment, we totally got used to it, right? Didn't even notice it. In fact, we would have out-of-town guests come, and we'd be hanging out, talking to our apartment. We'd be having a conversation. And in the middle of the conversation, like our, our friends that were visiting would be like, what is that? And we were like, what's what? And they were like, that small earthquake, that's happening. What is that? And we were like, oh, that's the train. That's the train. And they're like, how do you get used to that? And I'm like, I don't know. I guess you just kind of get used to it. You know, it's because when, when something is so familiar, you just kind of becomes invisible to you. And, and the danger with this prayer is that for some of us, we are so familiar. We've prayed it so often, but we've never really stopped to really consider, man, what is it that we're actually praying? What does it mean exactly? And, and sometimes familiarity can do that. And so that's, that's why we're doing this series, really. 
is because we said in this series, what we wanna do is we wanna go line by line, phrase by phrase through this prayer. We wanna kind of dissect it and we wanna get behind the meaning. We don't just wanna know what the prayer says, we wanna know what the prayer means. And so how do we pray? That's what kind of we're looking at together. And so, for example, a couple weeks ago, uh, we looked, we just spent the entire weekend talking about the first line, our Father in heaven. And we said, why is that the starting place of prayer? Why would Jesus want us to begin there? What does it mean to call God Father? So we talked about that two weeks ago. Last week, if you were here, we looked at the second phrase in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. And we were like, what in the world does that mean? What is hollow and how do you hollow a name? Like, how does that happen? And so this week, as we're continuing in the series, we'll look at the next phrase. We're gonna spend our whole morning for the next several minutes that we have together just pressing our minds, pressing our attention, and hopefully pressing our hearts down on this phrase, and that's this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, that's what we wanna talk about for the rest of our time today. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we praying when we pray that prayer? All right. So I thought it would only be fitting before we jump into this conversation in, a more in, in depth for us to talk to God ourselves and to ask him that he would help us as we kind of pursue the meaning of this. So let's, let's do that together. Let's pray and ask God to help us as we kind of journey through this together. Well, Father, it is um, it's an absolute honor and privilege that we get to be together here. And um, I'm so thankful that you've preserved your words for us and that we have an opportunity to learn from them and, uh, you know, God, I'm, I'm fairly sure that it was never your intention that we become so familiar with the things that you said uh, that, um, that our familiarity with, with your words causes us to lose the meaning of them. And so, God, we ask you that today that you would, you would take these words that you've given, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let those not just be cold, stale words that come out of our mouth, but I pray, Father, that you would help them to explode with meaning. I ask you that you would open up our eyes and open up our ears, that we would be able to see what it is that you mean. What do you mean? We need your help. We need, we need you to show this to us, Father. And so, God, we come here with, uh, with, with eager expectation to meet with you, to learn from you. That's what we're here to do. And so I pray that you would teach us to pray. And uh, God, I also just want to pray for myself right now. I pray that you would make me useful uh, for the sake of those who are in this room. God, I pray you just, you'd help me to be useful. And we, uh, we pray these things and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. So Jesus says, when you pray, I want you to pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So what is it that we're praying for when we say that? Because my guess is for some of you, maybe you've said that line hundreds, if not thousands of times in your life. But maybe you've never had the opportunity to really pause and think, what is it that I'm actually asking God for when I say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what I wanna talk about today is I believe that when we pray that, we're actually asking God for three things. I think that there are three dimensions to understanding this idea of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let me give you those three things, those three dimensions right from the outset, and then we'll spend the rest of our time kind of talking them through. So here's, here's where we're going today. Let me just kind of give you an outline of where we're going. So we're gonna be looking at these three aspects of what we're praying for, and here they are. Number one, I think we're praying for a revolution in this world. When we are saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, we are asking God for a revolution in this world. Number two, I think we are asking for the redemption of this world. 
okay, the redemption of this world. And then number three, I think we're asking for a transformation in our hearts, a transformation in my heart. All right, so three things that I believe we're asking, three aspects to this prayer. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I believe I am asking for a revolution in this world. I believe I'm asking for the redemption of this world, and I believe I'm asking for transformation in my heart. All right, now what does that mean, and uh, where am I getting this from? All right, well, let me show you. So let's just start at the top. All right, the first thing, number one, I believe when we're, when we're talking and we're asking God, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're asking for a revolution in this world. We are asking God for a revolution in this world. Now, if you notice, I just want you to glance down again at verse 10, and verse 10 is where you see that key phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and I want you to notice that there is a key term that is used in verse 10 that I believe is critical to understanding this prayer, all right, and that is this word right here, the word kingdom. Okay, so he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This term kingdom. Um, understanding this word and understanding its significance in the Bible is crucial to understanding this prayer. All right? It is hard for me to overstate the significance of that word. Very hard for me to overstate it. It is arguably the idea of the kingdom or the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is, the, is arguably the centerpiece of Jesus's teaching while he was here on earth. Um, if, you, if you've ever read through the Gospels, which if you're not, if you're not a Bible person, uh, the Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're kind of like biographies. They're kind of like the biography of the life of Jesus. And if you've ever gone through the Gospels, one of the things that will stand out to you so clearly is that Jesus is constantly talking about the kingdom. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. As a matter of fact, I went through and I just counted. This is my count. Uh, my count. Uh, through all four gospels, I counted 104 times. Jesus is talking about the kingdom. Jesus says, I've come to bring my kingdom. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is near. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Jesus is constantly talking about the kingdom. Jesus is constantly giving parables about the kingdom. Parables are like little stories to help you understand a big truth. And so Jesus would be like, my kingdom, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's like a small little seed you plant in your garden and it grows up real big and becomes a real big tree. That's what my kingdom is like. Jesus says stuff like, my kingdom is like a farmer. He went out and scattered some seed. He's constantly talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven in some variation or another. And so it's no surprise to us then that when Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, that he weaves in this concept of the kingdom. He says, when you pray, I want you to pray, your kingdom come. Father in heaven, your kingdom come and your will be done, which is all fine and good, but here's the problem. The problem is that for you and I, as 21st century American readers, when we read that word kingdom, there are certain, my guess is there are certain images and there are certain pictures and connotations that come with that word that I believe are actually barriers to keeping us from understanding what Jesus means when he says that, all right? So just a quick experiment. Let me just ask you. I'm not, you don't have to actually say it out loud, but let me just ask you. When I say the word kingdom, what comes up in your mind, right? What, what, do an image search in your brain. I say kingdom, what pictures come up, right? And my guess is, here's my guess. My guess is that for most of us, the pictures that come up to our mind most immediately are probably royal regal, um, ostentatious pictures. So for many of us, we, we, maybe the first thing for us is probably think of a castle. 
It's a kingdom, castle, right? And if that's the way you think, you're just like Google. I Google searched this. I went to Google and just put in kingdom and just castles everywhere, right? We think of that. We think of castles. We think of walls and gates. We think of moats, which moats are so awesome. Those are so underrated. I want a moat at my house. And, you know, we think of moats. We think of that kind of thing. For some of us, we think of like medieval times, Right? We think of a, maybe popular shows that are on TV it depicts knights and, 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 and you know, horses and all that kind of, we, that's what we tend to think of when we think of kingdom. For some of us, we think of a place, right? We think of, so we, maybe we think of the United Kingdom and we think of Northern Ireland and Great Britain and Queen Elizabeth and, and we kind of think of the regal, royal, monarchical leadership structure that exists in that region. It's what comes to our mind, right? Or maybe for some of us, what comes to your mind is maybe you think of something mythical, like maybe you think Lord of the Rings and you're like, oh, the kingdoms and, and that kind of thing. Or if you're like me, the first image that came to my mind when I thought about kingdom, that was this image. I thought of Disney's Magic Kingdom, right? I thought, oh yeah, the Magic Kingdom. Orlando, Florida, right? Where, where, where you know, all kids' dreams magically come true and your money magically disappears, right? That's like, that's the place that I thought. I thought, man, well, that's, you know, so we think of a place. We think of a castle. We think of a location. That's kind of what we think. Now, now, that's fine, but here's the problem. The problem is that when Jesus, when Jesus uses this term, we tend to take these pictures and these images that we have and we apply them to what Jesus said. And so when we think of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, for most of us, we think, oh, that's like, that's like a place, the kingdom of God. It's like a distant, far-off location. That's like, that's heaven, right? So we're on earth, and then one day we're gonna die and then if, you know, if we believe in Jesus, then one day we'll go to the kingdom of heaven. And it's, apparently it's a location. There's gates, right? And there's St. Peter's there, I guess. And you go in and, and there's a throne and there's a king. There's a, there's a ca- maybe there's a castle, I don't know. And it's a beautiful, wonderful place. There's golden streets. The streets are made of gold. And according to Disney, all dogs go there, right? And, and, and cats, you know, we know what happens with them. They go back to where they came from. But dogs, they go there, right? And it's a... And we tend to think of it like that's what, heaven's a place. And you go there, you die, and you go there. That's what heaven is all about. But, but you see, the problem is that that is not what Jesus intended when he says kingdom. And that's actually not what he has in mind when he talks about this concept. So what does he mean? Well, the Greek word that's used for kingdom is actually a really fascinating word. I also think it's very clarifying. I'll put it up on the screen. The Greek word for, for a kingdom literally means the rank, the authority, and the sovereignty exercised by a king. That's what it is. So what is kingdom in Jesus' thinking? It is the rank, the authority, the sovereignty exercised by a person, all right? It is, it, is, it is living under the reign and the rule and the leadership and the authority of a person, of a king. That's what it is. Right, so let me see if I can clarify this for a minute. When you think kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, don't think place. Think person, all right? It's not like I'm living in a location. It's like, no, I'm living underneath the authority of a person. Let me say it another way. When you think kingdom, all right, don't think an external location that's on a map. Think of an, eter- an internal submission to a leader, to a ruler, to a king. All right? that, that's, that's what he's, and that can happen in any location. It doesn't matter where you are. Submit yourself under the reign and rule of a certain leader. Put it another way. When you think kingdom, don't think realm, right? You know, like I said, like a place has a jurisdiction. You can enter and exit. Apparently, this is the place where God is king. But if you exit it, God is no longer king. Don't think realm, think rule. 
It's all of those who live underneath the rulership and the authority of God as their king. That's what we're talking about. Now, if that's not making sense, let me give you just one more quick illustration to maybe help kind of solidify it. Right now, if you guys are, uh, if you're watching in the media, it's hard to miss. Uh, One of the biggest controversial issues that we're facing ever since the election of Donald Trump and now uh, especially since the inauguration of Donald Trump is that there is a whole bunch of people that are just rising up against him and you know they don't want to follow him and so there's this this social media um, phenomenon where people are are putting out their hashtag not my president right you guys have seen this before hashtag not my president what is it that these people are saying what they're saying is I I am not willing to live my life under the authority and under the leadership of that person they're they're not saying I'm I'm leaving the United States of America some people have said that, but, and they haven't done that. But a lot of people said, hashtag, not my president. Uh, it's not about location. It's about authority. I'm not going to live underneath. I'm not going to subject myself to his authority. Now, that is, I know that's a controversial issue, and I, there's too much to say about that that I don't want to bring up. I'm not trying to poke the bear. But I do think that that issue, that that idea of, of hashtag, not my president, helps us understand this concept of kingdom, because kingdom is not about location, it's about authority. It's about subjecting yourself to the leadership of a person. That's what it's about, right? This is why Jesus says things like, the kingdom of God is within you. What does he mean by that? Well, here's what he means. The kingdom of God is not about location. It's not about an external location. It is about an internal submission. It's in your heart. The kingdom is a place of saying, I'm going to live as if Jesus were king. I'm gonna live as if God were the king who'd guided and directed uh, my life under his leadership, under his authority. I think that's why the second part of this prayer, uh, of this phrase, is so clarifying because look what he says. He says, your kingdom come, and look at this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what is a person's will? Well, you guys know what a will is. A will is your desire. It's, it's your wants. It's what you wish to see happen. And so what are we actually asking for then when we say, God, we want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done on earth as is in heaven. Here's what we're saying. We're saying, God, we want you to be king. We want you to be king and we want your desires to be done here. We want your will. We We want your legislation. We want your administration here. In other words, what we're saying is this. We're saying, God, we want a revolution. We want a revolution. We want you to overthrow the way that things are in this world, and we want this world to look the way that you want it to look. We want your desires, and we want your kingdom. We want this world to be underneath your authority. We want you to be our king. That's what we're saying when we pray this prayer. Now, now I know that might sound abstract to some of you, but my guess is that probably all of us in this room, at one point or another, have, have probably prayed this or felt this at one point in our life or another and, and have really never, maybe we wouldn't use these words, but we might not even notice it, but this is something I think many of us feel and many of us pray. And here's what I mean. If you, if you um, scrolled through the news this week, like if you flipped on the news and you were flipping through the channels, or if you scrolled through your news feed on your phone, my guess is that at some point, if you did that this week, that there was something that occurred inside of you, that at some point when you were reading the news or when you were going through your news feed, that there was an uprising that happened inside of you and that there was a a deep frustration, a deep desperation, and a deep disparity over the condition of this world. That's my guess. I'm guessing a lot of you feel it. You you look at the news, you look at your news feed, and there's something inside of you at some point that just says, man, this is not the way it ought to be. This place is broken. 
And I wish it wasn't like this. I think all of us have felt that. I felt that this past week, scrolling through my news feed again, read articles, some of you guys saw this, read an article about this past week, a, a terrorist bombing in Somalia. A string of several terrorist bombings are happening in that region. 28 people are dead. And I read that and I'm just like, man, man God, I just don't want, it to be, I don't want it to be like this. The world shouldn't be like this. You, you just do the math on it. You think 28 people are dead. And then you do the math. You're like, man, think about the families. Think about what that's doing in that community of people right now. Think about the devastation of that. And there's something inside of us. There's an uprising that happens and says, man, I don't want the world to look like this. I wish it looked different than this. So much darkness and so much brokenness that we see all around. Story I read just two weeks ago. Absolutely heart-wrenching. Some of you guys read this. We all know of the heroin epidemic that's sweeping our nation right now. And there's a story two weeks ago about a Pennsylvania couple. You may have read this. Young couple had a newborn little baby girl. Both of them overdosed on heroin, leaving their, their daughter, who was neglected for a few days before she passed as well. You just read that, and isn't there something inside of you that just says, man, no. Like, no, it, should, it shouldn't be like that. This stuff shouldn't happen. There's something inside of you that says, man, I want a revolution. I want this world to be different. God, I want your desires to be done here because everything looks wrong. Something in us that wells up to say that. My mother-in-law uh, this past week went to a human trafficking awareness meeting down in Canton. And she was telling it, man, you guys ever do any research? So devastating. It's happening in our backyard. It's so devastating. The average age of, 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 a, of a child that is abducted and taken and sold into the sex slave industry, average age, 13 years old. I mean, you think about that, that there's people out there that look at children not as someone to be loved, but as someone to be used. And there's something inside of us that says, God, I don't want the world to look like this. Overthrow this place. God, we want a revolution. We want to sabotage. I don't want it to be like this anymore. And you see, for some of us, we say, well, see, that's why I don't watch the news. That's why, that's why I don't read, because it's just so hard. As if ignoring it is going to make it go away. It doesn't change anything. And so when we pray, Father, we want your kingdom to come, and we want your will to be done. What are we asking for? We're saying, God, we want a revolution here. We want you to be the king here. We want this world to look the way that you want it to look. That's what we're asking for. But that's not all we're asking for. That's not all we're asking for. And that that brings me to my second point, which I think is really important and I think is very clarifying, especially in light of the first point, and that's this. So yes, we're asking for a revolution in this world, but the second thing is we're also asking for a redemption of this world, okay? We're asking for the redemption of this world. So let me show you what I'm talking about. If you look at verse 10 again, I want you just to notice for a minute in verse 10, I want you to pay attention to the direction in which we are asking God to move. Okay, so just check this out, the direction in which we're asking God to move. So notice in verse 10, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you notice, we want your kingdom to come and we want your will to be done on earth, right? What direction are we asking God to move? We're not saying, God, this world stinks. Get us out of here. It's not what we're praying. We're saying, no, God, we want you to come here. We want you to, to descend here. We want your kingdom to come and we want your will to be done on this earth. 
Now, you guys, I think that this is really important, especially in light of the first point that I made, because here's what I know. I know some of you guys are real fiery. You're just fired up about stuff. And when I say, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, I'm talking about a revolution. There are some of you that are like, yeah. Yeah. You're like, now we're talking. Revolution, that's what I've been saying all day. I got my gun safe, and I got five years worth of tuna in my basement, you know? And I'm ready to go, man. Revolution. Yeah, I love this place. And some of you, you get fired up about that because you're like, this world stinks. It's a terrible place. It's ugly and it's broken. And there's all them people doing all them bad things that you were talking about. And we hate it here. And so what we're going to do is we're going to be Jesus people. And so we're going to get in a little corner and we're going to isolate and we're going to insulate and we're going to stiff arm the world. And we're going to have a little Christian subculture and we're just going to wait here until Jesus comes back and gets us. And he'll take us out of here, and then he'll go get them. Go get them bad people doing them bad things. That's what we're asking for. And some of you think that way. That's the way you think. You're like, yeah, this world stinks. I hate this place. I read the news, and I'm like, God, take, take us out of here and blow this place up. Annihilate it. Get them, right? Now, let me just say, if that's the way you think, that's not what you want. You don't actually want that. You're like, yeah, I do. I want God to get them. You want God to get him? Yeah, I want him to get him. All right, let's just go with that logic for a minute, all right? Let's just say Jesus did that. Let's just say Jesus came back and he said, all right, you know what? I'm gonna destroy everything that goes against my will and goes against my desires. Let's go for it. First and foremost, murderers, out. All of you are gone. And some of you are like, all right, now we're talking. This place is starting to look good now. And then God's like, okay, next up, Anyone connected to the human trafficking industry, anyone who's buying, selling, or using children, gone. And we're like, now, yes, God, do it. Take care of it. We want justice. Yes. Then God says, okay, let's keep going here. Um, Drug epidemic. Anyone who's dealing drugs, anyone who's providing and supplying drugs to other people, gone. And we're like, that's right, God, you clean up the streets. Get them. And then God says, all right, everything against my will? All right, how about those of you who are looking at porn? Because let's be honest, if you're looking at pornography, you are contributing to the human trafficking industry. Simple supply and demand. And what about, what about uh, since we're at it, all of those who are greedy, who, who, who will at times overstep people or use people for personal gain or personal advantage because that is against the will of God? Or what about all of those who slander or gossip because that contributes to the brokenness of the world is against God's desires and against God. What about anybody who has a tinge of bigotry or racism in their heart? Because that contributes to all this. Now, now all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute now. See, the other people, that, that they're a whole different class. You see me, I, I feel like my, my struggle is a little bit more like an, it's like, a, like an addiction. Like I can't really stop. It's like a disease. See, the truth is, we don't want God to destroy everything that goes against his will because if God destroyed everything that went against his will, he would destroy us too. We would be in that category. So we are not asking for annihilation. We are asking for transformation. We are asking for redemption. We're saying, yes, we want a revolution, but we want redemption. We want redemption. I love the way that one author put it. He's actually a Nobel uh, Prize winner. In, in, uh, he won the, the Nobel Prize in literature years ago. His name is Alexander Zolzhenitsyn. He said this, it was so clarifying. He said, if only it were that simple, if only there were some evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, 
and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? That guy is so helpful because what is he saying? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, it's not like the evil and brokenness and sin in this world is out there. It's in here. Every one of us are contributors to the brokenness of this world to one degree or another. And so when we come to God and we say, God, we want a revolution, we're also saying, but God, we don't want annihilation. We want resurrection. We want redemption. We want you, we don't, God, we don't hate this world. We don't hate this world. We hate the brokenness of this world, but we love this world. Why do we love this world? Because you love this world. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his son. He wanted to buy it back, you see. And so the truth is, when we come to this, we say, man, God, I don't just want revolution, but I also want redemption, resurrection. I want you to make this place what you intended because you created it. It is intrinsically a beautiful place that is worth redeeming. And by the way, if you've ever read in the book of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible, when you see the final picture of the kingdom of God in its fullness, do you know what it looks like? The kingdom of God in its fullness looks like a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. What is that? It's not the annihilation of those things. It's the recreation of those things. It is the redemption and the resurrection of those things. That's what God's trying to accomplish here. I, I, I absolutely love the way that N.T. Wright put it. N.T. Wright is a New Testament commentator. He wrote a great little book. I would commend it to you if you're interested. It's called The Lord and His Prayer on the Lord's Prayer. It's actually been really instrumental in this series. Here's what he said. He said, thy kingdom come. To pray this means seeing the world with binocular vision, right? To see it with the love of the creator for his spectacularly beautiful creation and also to see it with the deep grief of the creator for the battered and battle-scarred state in which the world now finds itself. You put these two pictures together and bring the binocular picture into focus. The love and the grief join together into the Jesus shape, the kingdom shape, the shape of the cross. I love what he's saying. You see what he's saying? You see, you want to view the world correctly as God views the world? You have to view it through two lenses. It's a binocular vision. On one hand, this is a broken place that needs, that needs a revolution. But on the other hand, this is a beautiful place that's created by God that needs redemption. And, and I have to hold these things in equal balance. And so when I pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I'm asking for a revolution. I'm asking for a redemption. But that brings me to the third thing, the last thing. And I would say probably the most personal and the most practical of them all. And that's this. I am asking for a transformation in my heart. I am asking not just for a revolution in this world, not just for the redemption of this world. I'm not just asking God to do something in the world. I'm actually asking God to do something in me. How does, how does God change the world? Well, here's how it happens. It happens in our hearts. It's a transformation that happens in us. I want you to notice something, and this might seem so obvious, but it's so instrumental in understanding this prayer. I want you to notice, if you look at verse 10 again, whose kingdom and whose will it is that we're asking to be done? Who's, whose kingdom? Whose will? Your kingdom, your will. We are asking for our heavenly father's kingdom, his authority, his leadership, his legislation, his administration, his leadership. We're asking for that. And we're asking for his will, his desires to be done. Not, not ours, we're asking for his. To be, and this is so important. As obvious as this might sound, it is so important because if you were here a couple weeks ago, you might remember we said that there is an order 
in which Jesus gives this prayer. Like these different phrases that Jesus gives, he puts in a particular order for a specific reason. And so, so the Lord's prayer in a nutshell is basically this. Our Father, your name hallowed, your kingdom, your will. Give us bread, forgive us, and deliver us from evil. Okay, so, so you see that? This is the Lord's prayer in a nutshell. Again, Father, you, 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 right? Your name hallowed, your kingdom, your will. Us, us, us. And I think this is so important because I think Jesus is instructing us and he's saying it's not wrong to come to prayer to pray for what you want and what you desire, but that's only a piece of prayer and that doesn't come first. What comes first? Father, you, you, you. We want your kingdom and we want your will. Now, why is that important? Well, here's why it's important. When we pray that, we are necessarily asking God to change our will and to change our desires to match his. So here's one thing I know about about everyone in this room whether you know it or not, all of us have a vision. We have a picture in our mind of what we think our lives should look like. We all have that. And oftentimes when we pray, we come to God and we ask him to fulfill that vision that we have. We say, God, here's the picture that I want my life to look like. Give me that picture. See, but what Jesus says here, he says, no, no, no. By necessity, when you say your kingdom and your will, what you're doing is you're saying, God, would you come into my heart Would you deconstruct my vision that I have for my life and would you rebuild it and put in your vision and put in your desires? I'm asking for God to implant that inside. I'm asking for a transformation in my heart. I'm not coming to God to ask him to bend to my will. I'm coming to God to ask him to bend my will to his desires and to his purposes. Does that make sense? This, um, when I was reading this this past week, back when I was in middle school, um, I remember I was into skateboarding for a little while, and I went to my dad, and I said, hey, dad, I said, I really want to build my own skateboard. I said, but I don't, I don't know how to do it. And my dad said, well, it's actually kind of complicated, he said, because you're going to have to bend the wood, bend the board in a way that, you know, that shapes the, the skateboard. And I was like, well, how do you do that? How do you bend a board? And my dad was like, I still remember him saying this. He said, there's a lot of ways you can do it. He said, but one of the ways is you can soak it in water. You soak, you soak the board in water. He says, and after it soaks for a really long time, you can apply pressure and weight in certain ways. And, and that hard, stiff, and stubborn board will become pliable. And you can, and you can then bend it and you can mold it into the, the desire, that, into what it is that you desire, the shape that you desire it to look like. And this past week, I was just thinking, you know, I think, that's what, I think that's what Jesus is kind of saying about prayer. I think he's saying, listen, prayer is a place where you take your will and you soak your will in prayer. And, and through prayer, God takes your hard heart, God takes our, our stiff and our stubborn wills, and he softens them and he makes them pliable. And when we say your kingdom come, your will be done, what we're saying is we're saying, God, apply pressure and apply force to conform me to your will. I want your kingdom, your authority in my life, and I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want that to happen inside of my heart. So, so what does this look like then? Well, I think it looks like this, practically speaking. I think it looks like us saying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in my marriage, in my marriage. So God, as a husband or as a wife, this is what you pray, unless you're not married. That would be weird. But if you're, if you're married, God, as a husband, as a wife, you're the king, you're the king, and I want to live as a person who is underneath your leadership. And according to what the Bible teaches us, you've been so gracious to let us know how you desire marriage to look. You've given us a picture of, of the way that you intend to legislate marriage. 
And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter five and books like 1 Peter as well, the Bible says that marriage is an awesome thing given by God. It's intended to be a covenant relationship in which the husband serves and sacrifices for his wife like Christ does for the church. And the wife lovingly submits herself to her husband as the church does to Christ. And both of them, out of reverence for, for Christ, consider the needs of each other above their own. And God says, this is the way I want you to do marriage. And yet for a lot of us, we're like, well, I don't like that. I don't like that picture. No one in our culture is doing that picture. My parents didn't do that picture. My friends aren't doing that picture. Quite honestly, I struggle with some of the words you just said. Sacrifice, serve, submit. That sounds stifling. Doesn't sound like a, a liberating, but hold on a minute. If we are praying, your kingdom come, that is, you're the king, your will be done, not mine, what are we saying? We're saying, God, I might not understand it. God, it might be completely countercultural, but I wanna live as a person underneath your authority. And so I pray that you, would, that you would cause my will to bend to yours. That's what I'm asking, God, because I believe that you're the designer of marriage and that you love me and that you must understand something that I don't understand because let's just be honest, all the other pictures of marriage we have in our society aren't working, right? I'm saying, all right, God, bend my will to yours. What are we praying? We're saying this. We're saying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in my sex life, in my sex life. What does that mean? It means, God, I think you're the king. I believe you're the king. I believe you made sexuality and you legislated it in a certain way for our benefit and for our good. The Bible says God made sex and he made it for our, it's a privilege, it's an honor, it's a beautiful thing that we are to enjoy, but it's intended to be within a certain relationship that God has designed, a covenant relationship between a husband and a wife. And the Bible says anything outside of that covenant relationship is not what God desires for sexuality. And for some of us, we say, well, I don't like that picture. I don't like that. I don't like that plan for sex. That sounds, that sounds like it's constraining. And I, no one else is doing that in our culture right now. Everyone else is living, no one's doing that in my high school right now. No one's doing that in my college right now. And so, so, so I don't wanna do it that way. But what are you praying when you say your kingdom come, your will be done? What you're saying is you're saying, God, you're the king. And so I wanna live under your authority. And so I pray you would bend my will, change my desires, and help me to live according to your leadership. In every area of our life, whether it be our finances or our sex life or our marriage or our relationships, anything, what we're doing is we're asking, when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done, we are asking God to change our hearts, to transform our hearts in these ways. See, and here's what the Bible teaches us, you guys. The Bible says when we do that, when we bend and conform our wills to God in that way, the Bible says that what happens is we bring the kingdom to this earth that, the kingdom, that, that we are living as people who are underneath the lordship and the leadership of Jesus and we are bringing the kingdom to this earth, that we are actually making the kingdom come. So how does God transform the world? How does God redeem the world? How does God cause a revolution? One heart of transformation at a time. That's how he does it. He does it through us in this way. So I remember when I was a kid, we had some, I had some cousins that lived in Florida and, uh, and they, I had only met them one other time before they came to visit one summer. And uh, the, the summer they came to visit was an absolute blast. We had so much fun with them. And uh, I, I remember at that time, I had never left the state of Ohio. So I, I was an Ohio boy through and through, never left the state, barely even left Akron at that time. 
And, uh, and so we had some, some cousins come up from Florida. And I remembered that they would do things to me that looked so strange. They would say things and they would do things that I was like, that is so weird to me. And so, for example, they, didn't, they, they called pop soda. And so they'd be like, can I have a glass of soda? I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? And, and they'd be like, oh, well, where we're from, that's what we call it. And I was like, well, around here, you know, we call it pop because that's what normal people call it. And they're like... And they're like, well, no, we call it soda where we're from, and that's just normal. And I was like, well, that's really crazy. I remember, I still remember this so vividly. They would, we would go outside and play, and they would have their shoes off, and they would run up and down our gravel driveway. And I remember I was like, how are you doing that? And, and they were like, oh, where we're from, down in Florida, it's hot all the time, like all year round. So, so we run around outside with, in bare feet all the time. So our calluses are like five inches thick. And I was like, wow. And I just, I remember it was intriguing to me. They would do things different. They would act in ways. And I, I was just like, what is, and so it caused me to ask questions. It's like, what's it like where you're from? What is this Florida place, you know? And they're like, it's, a, it's an incredible, magical place, you know? And they would tell me about Florida. And I wanted to go, I'm like, I want to go to Florida. That sounds like a really cool place, right? Now listen, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that in the same way, when my, cous- my cousins came to Florida, they brought the customs and the behaviors of that place with them. They brought Florida into Ohio. It looked weird to me as an Ohio kid, but it was intriguing to me as an Ohio kid. And the Bible says, for those of us who follow Jesus, and I know not all of us follow Jesus, that when we live as people under the authority of King Jesus, that it causes the world to look at us and say, that's weird, man. The way you do, the way you do your sex life, that's strange. The way you do your marriage, that's odd. The way you conduct business, that's like nothing I've ever seen before. And we say, well, yeah. That's because where we're from, it's different, you see. We worship a different king. We're part of a different kingdom. We bring the kingdom to this earth. And the Bible says that in so doing that, that it causes people to look at us and say, tell me about your king. And then we have an opportunity to tell them, man, my king is awesome. Let me tell you how good he is. Let me tell you how loving, let me tell you how humble he is. Let me tell you what he has done. And it gives us an opportunity. And that transformation takes place as we live this kingdom on this earth. So, so when we pray, your kingdom come, you will be done on earth as it is. And what are we praying? We're praying for a revolution. We're praying for redemption. And we're asking for a transformation in our hearts. I'm gonna ask the band to come up. And as they make their way up here, I just wanna close with a couple of thoughts and then we'll be finished. So in a moment, I actually asked the band if they would, if they would take some time just to give you some space to let you pray. And, and, you know, I thought, I know you guys have busy calendars and you're, you're running around all over the place. And so I thought, you know, let's just give you a couple minutes to give you some space to pray. And, you know, maybe for some of you, honestly, maybe that you've never prayed before. I would encourage you in this time, just to your heart to God's heart, just to talk to him, to pray. Maybe for the first time to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And maybe for the first time to understand what those words mean and to pray that. I also just want to say this. If you're a person investigating Jesus, like if you're, if you're not a Christ follower and you're here and you're kind of trying to figure that stuff out, um, let me just say first, we say this all the time, we seriously consider that a privilege that you would let us be part of your investigation. You could do anything you want with your Sunday morning, uh, but you're here and you're letting us be part of that. So thank you for that. But I know that this conversation to you might sound so weird. You're like a kingdom. Are you serious? This is really, this is getting kind of, kind of crazy, man. But let me just put it this way. Every person has a king in their life. Everyone has something that they put on the throne that, that, that dictates and guides that they submit themselves to. And my question is, what is it that's the king of your life? 
For some of you, it's, it's, it's just you. It's your own desires. It's, it's whatever you want to do. For some of you, it's, it's the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of success, and that is what's guiding and your, everything in your life bends to that thing. And here, here's the only question I want you to consider is how is that king treating you? Is that leading you to peace? Is it, is it leading you into a richer, deeper, fuller life? Because I can tell you this much, that there is a king that is a good king and there is a king that loves you and if you conform your life to him, that he will lead you into peace and he will lead you into a deeper, richer, fuller life that he desires for you. And you can submit your life to him. That's why we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the last thing I'll say is this. If you're in need of prayer today, um, like for anything, if you're going through something, if you're facing a, a big challenge, if you're in the middle of a big decision, anything, anything, if you're going through something awesome and you just wanna celebrate we actually have a group of people who would love to serve you by praying for you. And so at the end of this service, there's gonna be some people in this back corner. When service lets out, you'll be able to find them. They have lanyards on and they, they are there and they are willing and they are equipped to pray for you. And so we would encourage you to take advantage of that, to pray with them if you want to. Okay, so I'm gonna give you guys some space. The band's gonna play and we'll let you just take some time and you can interact with your heavenly father.